Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Al Levy. I want to take a second and tell you about something that I am very excited about, and it's the URM Summit. Once a year, we hold an event where hundreds of producers from all over the world come together for four days of networking, workshops, seminars, and hanging out. This industry is all about relationships, and think about it. What could you gain from getting to personally know your peers from all over the world who have the same goals as you, the same struggles as you, and who can help inspire you, motivate you, as well as become potential professional collaborators? This year's summit is on November 9th through 11th at the Las Vegas Westin, which is just one block off of the Strip, and it's going to be even bigger and better than ever. We're anticipating even more producers, plus a lineup of amazing guests like Jens Bogren, Chris Crummett, Machine, Forrester Savell, Michael Agian, Dave Otero, Billy Decker, Chris Adler, Mary Zimmer, Mike Mowry, Jesse Cannon, Blasco, Jason Leckberg, Jesco Lohan, and more. And of course, our musical guest, the one and only Ark Spire. So get your summit tickets now at urmsummit.com and we will see you in Vegas. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast. I am A.L. Levy and with me today is someone who members of the URM community should be familiar with, one of our own, Mr. John McLucas, who is a musician, a producer, mix engineer, creative, and social media content creator out of L.A., John creates content for his own channel as well as for other companies and clients on top of managing an ever-growing production and mixing career. And the reason I have him on is because this is one of the URM members who I have seen really take ownership of their lives and just move forward. He has worked his ass off and suffered for his own success and it is really starting to pay off. He's an inspiration to us all, and I thought it would be great for you guys to hear from him. So without further ado, here we go. John McLucas, welcome to the URM podcast. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm excited. You're welcome. You know, you did the pre-interview with Ben. Shout out to Ben. If anyone doesn't know, there's this wonderful human being named Ben Deal who helps me prepare these. Without him... I would just be lost. No, I wouldn't be lost. Aww, but uh, he, but no, he helps me prepare for these. Um, been really trying to step them up and need help. Um, but I'm looking at something he wrote, mm-hmm. and it says, "Very stubborn, hates losing." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's. I mean, that, yeah, that's one way to put it. I guess I must have said it that way. No, that you you did say it that way. Um, so uh, let's talk about that because I hate losing too. I fucking hate it. Have you always been that way? Well, I'll say this: I love. It started. I think it started with board games. I think I've been traumatized by my older sister. She would like manipulate me since you know when she was like eight and I was five to pretty much lose by. She would kind of convince me that if she attacked me and made me lose, then she could like catapult and get our dad in like a board game. So then I was I would just kind of get manipulated into losing all the time. And I feel like that left an impression on me where it's just I, I don't like how it feels. And I just love the challenge of of trying to beat somebody in, in any kind of game I play. And business is kind of the lifetime extension of a 
fun strategy board game. So I think it just somehow carried over, and and I yeah, I, I guess in some way it's always been there. You can ask my schoolyard friends from way back. I can spot it in people. You know how there's this idea out there. It's pretty popular in um, modern business books, which I know you've read a bunch of, and it's on podcasts a lot. But the whole like fail often, fail quick kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with that, but at the same time, encouraging people to fail, I don't like that, and and I don't ever think it's a good thing. Like, I mean, it means you fucking failed, and so I uh, I hate it, but. I do understand that there's always a lesson to be learned, um, like, you know, with a, you know, I guess Metal Beard Club, uh, which I had for a while. It didn't do well. And uh, I dropped it. And so that's a failure. Uh, And I hate failures. But at the same time, I hate it less than having something in my life that's not doing well. So I, I get it. But I feel like people should not. Like they shouldn't feel good about failing. Yeah, I I, I agree with, with the sentiment in the sense of like it's to. I feel that the way some of those business books that you're referring to set the tone is like, don't worry about it. You know, like just go be bad. It, it, I feel like it almost doesn't encourage the like an extreme hard effort at things sometimes, and like it's just you know oh just just kind of encouraging badness maybe in a way which. I guess I, I'm definitely not a fan of either. It's because it sucks, and I don't like how it feels, and and I always just want to do better. But um, I, I guess I understand it. But yeah, it's just like why don't you want to win the first time? Why, like you should go into making a song or a record or a video hoping to have it be like a, a number one Billboard charting song, or have it go viral, or have it be the best, or whatever it is. Um, at least that's how I try to approach it, and I guess that's part of my stubbornness with just who I am. Yeah, I mean, I do agree that it's not that much of a failure if you turn it into a lesson. Um, So I guess you're kind of not failing if you do it that way. But I think that you shouldn't be going for a failure as if it's something good. Like the lesson is a byproduct and it's the silver lining. But in reality, I mean, whatever it is that you were trying, you were trying to win at it, right? I mean, you didn't start something in order to have it fail. Mm -hmm. You started something in order to win at it. And if you didn't win at it, it means you did something wrong. And yes, it is good to learn from it, but I mean, you still fucked up. Yeah, that's all it is. Well, I will say one thing that I do really, really like about failing, although I don't enjoy the short-term sting of it, is I've really enjoyed the arc of the last maybe six months of of YouTube land, where probably my first twenty videos I got like eighty subscribers, and I was just constantly being very bad at it. It was very discouraging, but then that just made me very like secretly bitter and want to work harder and learn and grow and get but all those that's lessons. That's not failing. Exactly. That's not failing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that, those repeated failures, I've, I've been able to turn them all into lessons. And it's like, I guess part of the, the stay spongy, uh, being flexible kind of thing where I, I love like the analytical end of breaking down why something is what it is or isn't what it isn't. And that 
I at least for me, I always try to at least take that out so it doesn't feel like a failure once I get over the cranky John, you know, that wants to win everything. Well, I think with YouTube especially, and really with anything, um, in six months is not long enough to know. However, if you had been making videos consistently for three years and were getting no traction, then you could call it a failure, in my opinion. But not getting much traction on your first 20 videos, I mean, that's par for the course. Remember Finn's first few videos? Like, they were not that hot. I mean, the content was good, but the videos themselves were not that hot. And through making those videos, he got way, way better at it. I mean, it's the same with writing songs or doing mixes. I know that uh, the best songwriters have set, say things like, you know, you got to get 100 to 150 songs deep before they even start turning into kind of okay. Like you got to get the bad songs out of you. And it's the same thing with any creative pursuit, I think. If you were to start a podcast tomorrow, not you, but because uh, you, you already started one, but uh, anyone listening, if you're to start a podcast tomorrow, don't be surprised if it sucks at first, but don't be discouraged either. If it sucks at first, that's how it's supposed to go. Um, it will keep on sucking until you've made a few and figured out what you're doing. Again, though, if it's three years in and you've been doing it consistently and they still suck and nobody cares, well, maybe you actually suck. Yeah, I think I found for myself that it's a really difficult balance of like measuring, trying to measure the right amount of macro when evaluating if something's good or not, because it takes a lot of self awareness and a lot of. Like balancing your own self doubt and silencing that enough to look at it practically. And that's, I think a lot of people seem to have problems with that. I, I can never say that for myself. It's hard to look at it and just be like, is this doing well or am I doing a bad job or am I doing a good job? How do I evaluate that? And because it's so gray, um, everybody's path, like I talked, talking to a YouTuber who just went full time after eight years and some people have done it after eight months. Um, so it's like kind of it's a really difficult way to like really difficult thing to evaluate. I, I I see. Yeah, but the thing about that self doubt is that, um, and I agree, it's it is a tough thing that you need to learn how to evaluate and live with. But it's not a uh, it's not coming from a rational logical place. It's coming from an emotional place, and emotions don't care about what's objectively going on in the world. And so you could be at the top of your game, like say, you know, you could be, say you're an athlete on a winning team and you're making millions of dollars and one of the best in the world, you might still have doubts about how good you really are. Uh, you could be the best guitar player in the world or one of the best successful legendary, and still have doubts about how good you are. The doubts are just part of the human condition. And so they're not a good gauge for how well you're doing or not doing. And so it's good to, it's good to learn to deal with them because even if your YouTube channel was to blow up and you became a millionaire from it, the doubts, it's not like that's a medical cure for doubt. It's not. You're still going to be human, 
And so you still got to be able to deal with that. So I actually think that now that you're still, I still think you're at the beginning of your career. I, oh, I me think too. that I think you're moving along, and that's why we're talking on this podcast and stuff. Like you've made some very impressive moves and uh, very quickly, but you're still at the beginning. You got years and years to go, but it, it's good to tackle how to deal with the doubt as early as possible because it's not going away. It'll always be there. Yeah, that I remember having a conversation with Kane Churko about that at the very first summit and he's like, "Yeah, I still feel like I like the this is I guess more imposter syndrome, but it was he still has that very deep seated in him with the wall that I saw when I was at the hideout and it's like, yeah, that I think for me that was a big point where I realized it's You like, mean the wall with the wall of platinum records? Yes, yes, the wall, the okay. wall, the wall of platinum records that uh, line his and his dad's hallway. The yeah. uh, the fierce competition they're having, <laughs> and um, it's like, yeah, all right. If Kane hasn't gotten rid of it yet, it's going to be around forever, and it's just, yeah, I, you're, like you said, it's like learning to deal with it and not letting it control the decisions that I'm personally making with like what I'm going to go hard, like what I'm going to put effort or time into, because that will get me nowhere. Well, I think at the beginning of your career, it's especially destructive to give too much too much power to doubts. So once you're already really successful, um, it may not have as much control over outcomes because you already have momentum. So say you're Kane Churko and you doubt and you feel like an imposter. Uh, I mean, and lots of successful people have imposter syndrome, but you still already have momentum in real life. And so you may be feeling those doubts, but that next big client is coming as long as you put yourself out there or, you know, if you're a professional athlete, you have those doubts. You still do have that next game tomorrow as long mm-hmm. as you don't injure yourself. But when you're at the very, very beginning and you might not have that gig yet um, and things are still in the, in the building process and the foundational stages, if you give too much power or too much of a voice to that doubt, it could stop you from doing the things you need to do. So it's important. Mm-hmm. You got to deal with that shit. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, and it's heartbreaking to watch to to see people struggle with it too because it's it's yeah you're right. It's like you can definitely resilience it when you have like a list of accolades or things you can point to. And well, the, it, it's not that those things cure it, but they distract you. Like um, I remember reading an interview with. Uh, Michael Brower once um, about getting fired off of some huge record, a really huge record, like a record that people would cry <laughs> if they got fired off of. They just didn't like his mix. And uh, so in the interview, it was like, were you bummed about it? And he's like, I didn't have time to be bummed. I started working on this other multi-platinum artist the very next day. So it's not that the that part of your brain shuts off, but it's that you have stuff going on that just distracts you from it. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if at the beginning of your career, those things don't exist in your life yet, so you don't have you don't have life to distract you from the, your own poisonous brain. Yeah. Uh, so you have to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. So how do how do you deal with it? Um, well, I think I've I think I've been lucky to have. A good sir. I mean, I okay. Well, I guess I'll start with this: is like having good people around me and 
my girlfriend is an incredibly supportive and massive advocate for everything I do. And when she's seen me maybe having like struggles mentally with how something's going, whether something like self doubt, you know, she's good at kind of recalling the things that have happened in the last maybe six to 12 months. Um, if, if I'm too buried in, in the hole of, of my own thought circles to really have that perspective, she's really good at reshifting that back for me. Um, and just saying, well, you know, like look back to where, uh, what is it? It's June. Okay. You know, June 2018, you were this, 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 and then now look how far you've come. Like really putting that and being able to remind me of that, uh, window, but, I've gotten to the point now where I feel when I'm able to kind of feel it starting again, I can re-remind myself like six months ago, 12 months ago, where was I then? Like two years ago is insane. The difference of where I was then and now is you wouldn't even think it's the same person. Um, and, every, and not just talking career-wise, but like just as a, as a human in general. I'm glad that works for you. Yeah, I, and I know it doesn't for everybody. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm glad that works for, for you. It does work for some people. Actually, when my girlfriend says that stuff to me, my brain is like, yeah, but the past does not equal the future. <laughs> I, the, the past does not equal the future is like a thing you tell yourself when you want to improve yourself. Like if you have fucked up at something or like it's something that uh, people who are like trying to get off of alcohol or mm-hmm. cigarettes or lose weight or whatever, tell themselves that like just because I have fucked up at it all these times in the past, it doesn't mean I'm going to fuck up at it tomorrow. But if that's true, the opposite is true as well. Just because you did well in the past doesn't mean you're going to do well in the future. No, that that's super super true. Um, it's, it's, I guess yeah, right. It's no it's no guarantee at all. But for me, it's like I if it helps, that's good. Yeah, because for me, I think more than like the specific parts. It's like okay, I'm able to when I'm in a corner. I'm able to maneuver my way out of it historically, like the last three to four years of of freelance audio world. I've always found a, a maneuver, an angle, a creative new avenue or opportunity that's then blossomed into something bigger. Like that historically I've been able to do that. And because that's a positive, I can kind of, you know, I, I had a maybe a more difficult time like four weeks ago. So that was one thing where I had to sit down and like think about every time I've been able to maneuver out of it and like what I did, and and then just kind of reapply that to this time, um, and yeah, I guess I'm fortunate that works for me because it's one of the more simple things. But uh, it's worked so far, so I'm I'm banking on that. Knock on wood. I'm glad everyone should find what works for them. I, honestly, I haven't really found what works for me other than just finding something else to work on. Like for instance, I know that some people like what I call proof around them. Uh, like I know Joel, my partner Joel, likes proof. Like so, for instance, when we got the two comma award, him and Joey went to receive it. I didn't go. I don't give a fuck about having the plaque on my wall. Um, even though URM was my idea, I don't even. I just didn't care, and I don't have anything on my walls. Like the couple plaques I do have for records are in storage. And like I don't have anything where I live to indicate anything I've ever done. And I've thought about like, Hmm. well, maybe there's something to it. Maybe because Joel has like, 
lots of picture frames like of different achievements uh, over the years like just great stuff he's done he's achieved a lot um and i guess if he f- ever doubts himself which he doesn't <laughs> i don't think or he doesn't tell me about it that's for certain um but like he can always look at what i just call it proof mm-hmm. so i've always wondered should i start doing that should i like you know, should I like frame my first record deal and put the two comma award up and like just put, you know, the best nail the mix months, like the the big achievement ones like Opeth and Lemagon and like all the different things over the years. Like, should I put that up and have that proof for when I feel doubt? But I don't know because I kind of feel like I won't give a shit. I mean, it, you know, the what the. The worst thing you got to lose is maybe an hour of time. No, no, it's a lot more time than that because you'd have to get everything framed. And since I haven't kept up with it, I'd have to locate all of it. And it's a project and a half because I have not been collecting that stuff along the way. Maybe it's a matter of just getting the things that are easy. You know, you can do like a, it's like the test mix of if proof helps you. You know, you just, just put a few of them up that are accessible or, you know, just hit up a, you know Russell Brunson be like, "Yo, I want my plaque," and then put that up. Put a couple of things up that are easy to craft, and then see if it works. Because that's something I've thought about for myself too. I don't have any of that up for myself, and nor do I have anything that hard to flex on, like a two comma club or the achievements that you guys have done, like massive stuff in business. But it's like just having having the little things, and it, it keeps that like constant reminder of of stuff that you've done. For me, it, it would work. You're also like 15 years younger than me, I think. Exactly. You, you would have probably a room to fill with with things on the wall compared to me. I'm sure that you have plenty of stuff relative to how long you've been at it. You know, if you were to start now within 15 years, you probably would have quite an impressive proof room. And so you're saying that it doesn't matter if you don't have the same stuff we have. You're at a different point in your life. But what you do have, I'm sure, is great relative to how long you've been at it. So even those things, they're meaningful. Of course they are. Yeah, like, you know, I don't know the date in February, but there's, uh, I would just I would just even make my own thing so I could hang it up. Just saying, like, February 2017, the month I went, like, you know, going full-time into audio, like, Leaving the band that was super toxic to to commit to myself and really invest in myself in a big way, and that was a massive leap relative, you know, to me and my experience. And like the year, the day that I got to leave living on the floor, like that was a massive accomplishment for myself. And you know, the last year was you know by far my biggest financial year. And I don't know if I'd post that up so like clients come over and that feels weird, but. I'll think of something, but like I want to have like a cool, maybe create some kind of cool timeline of yeah. the, your, the your journey. Music clients do not want to know that you made any money. Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> just a weird flex. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like because it, it's it's awesome, and that's and I have like so much stuff journaled, and it pretty much just be going through that and and making phrases, and maybe create. I don't know. I got to create something cool to just. Just reflect on it, and and I'll say this too. I think the reason that the stuff works for me that that does, where it's like reflect on on how far you've come, is you know I, I'm super super lucky to have, I think the best parent duo that I've ever met or heard the stories about. The best parent about. duo you've ever had. Yes, yeah, the best parents I've ever had in my life. Uh, 
And that's sick. Let them know they're the best parents you've ever had. Every time, every time somebody hit, like I, I definitely make a, a massive effort to let them know because it's they're truly stunning in every single way. And it's when people are like, "Oh, who do you credit?" or like, "Who's your idol?" It's like honestly, my mom and my dad. Like, there's you know, I love John Bonham and like you know, music people, but. Like I think the way I'm able to do a lot of the things mentally and, and like push through it, it, it completely has to do with them. Um, you know, not eh, my dad doesn't care. He talks about it openly. Like so, my dad's a recovered alcoholic, and you know, it, it, that's the kind of situation where like that's amazing. That's a huge accomplishment. Exactly, and it's it's one of those things where you have to look in the past and. You know, it starts micro where you might be on day two, and it's like you look back on your past of like I did it day one. I can do a day two. And then now, you know, uh, he's 30, not doing, not 30, uh, 20. Your dad's 30 years old. <laughs> That'd be impressive. He would have been six when he had me. <laughs> he's, I think, that's, that's a man's man right there. <laughs> I think he's 22 years sober. And Damn. I'm sure the few year, the few times where he's uh, maybe had a, a temptation or anything that, you know, it, it's, the same thing where it's like at least that's what I looked at when when I have maybe a darker mental time where it's like looking back at at what the journey's been and then realizing that I have the capacity to work through it and being you able said to twenty two years yeah so kind of like right around you yeah I mean not you know not to brag but you know I think I I might have played a part in that um, I was a pretty cute baby but <laughs> or or maybe he uh, realized that uh, he needed to get his shit together because he's a dad. Yes. Well, then again, I don't know if you have any older siblings, so. Oh, I'm just I do. Talking on my ass. No, no, no. She's she's about two and a half years older than me, so. Thank oh, you. Oh well, then there you go. So he, right around the time that he became a dad, he uh, made the right choice. Yes, and it, and it's after spending time with people and witnessing just a, too many fathers that have been in the same situation with substance abuse and go the other way, and not try to not make that leap and be able to hold on to it and push through it. I, I can't obviously speak to the journey of of overcoming substance abuse, but you know, I, I see a lot of fathers that haven't taken that or a lot of parents and it's just like it's so deeply inspiring. And he's channeled that all into running marathons and he's run I think 30 marathons now and he's almost 60. He ran 10 marathons last year. Like he's I love your dad. I love my dad too. He's awesome. Uh, I think that's so cool because also, so that and he got his shit together around forty, yeah. and that's uh, I love that too because it goes to show that it's never too late. I know a lot of people who, you know, they turn thirty and they're like, "I'm old now," and it's like, "No, you're not." Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you know, I know a lot of people in their forties now too, and. uh some of them feel like, you know, all the good years are behind them or something, and I think that's a total crock of horseshit. It's they're they're only behind you if you decide they're behind you because there are sixty year olds who got their shit together at forty who are now running marathons. Exactly, ten and times a year. Yes, well, he only did it for one year, but he the fact that he did doesn't it matter. Is yeah, it's um. You know, and, and you think about just a quick aside on the logistics of it, because that's roughly every six weeks. And it's crazy. 
and you don't even have time to properly uh, like do a full uh, peaking cycle and then a taper because the recovery is you know from seven to fourteen days, and then you have like a half prep. It is by far the best way you can channel obsessive tendencies. I completely agree with that. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it right now because uh, I'm planning on going into detail about it publicly later. But I can tell you all for a fact that. One of the best ways to change yourself, if you have some, if there's something negative that you do, is to take that same amount of energy, because it takes energy to do destructive things, like self-destructive things or bad behaviors, whatever it is. I mean, they take effort. Like uh, if you're a smoker, or if you gained a lot of weight, or you're an alcoholic, or a drug addict, or just overspend. Whatever it is, uh, that takes effort. I mean, if you're going to gamble your money away, for instance, you have to make that money in the first place. Yeah. So it all takes effort um, and dedication because these problems, too, that these self-created problems go on for years, sometimes decades. So that's, I mean, it sounds funny to say, but that's dedication and hard work um, to to get to that point uh, where you know you're either really sick and you could die or you have no money left or whatever. As fucked up as it is to say, it took a lot of energy and you were very dedicated and you went for it. And all that means is that if you were to take that same amount of energy and dedication and just obsessed on something great, imagine what you could do. So I actually think that addicts, um, and fuck-ups have some of the most potential out of anybody because obviously they can go really, really far with something um, and they can stick to something. And whether it's good or bad is not the point. The fact is that they have it in them to go that far. So your dad is a perfect example. Had it in him to be an alcoholic, which meant he had to spend money on it. He had to do it at the expense of relationships with people at the expense of his own health. Just think about all that goes into it. Yeah. And now he's running marathons. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I love I love the that view on it. And I can I can definitely say that applies for myself as well. Um I don't I guess well I don't guess I really talk about this that much anymore on the internet. Um so there was because there's a period in my life where I think I realized I have the same obsessive tendencies and the the same hyper focus that can be uh, that can go a very bad way if you put the effort in, like you said, into the wrong things. And there's a year of my life where I gained 50 pounds, which is not easy to do. So no. <laughs> I can tell you, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it uh, it did take a lot of hard work and dedication, and uh, a lot of candy. That was my thing, and it, yeah, and then I became equally as obsessed when I. You know, I was uh, between eighteen and nineteen. Like you could see, if if I showed you my senior year, like high school ID card, and then my first year of community college, you know, ID card, it's like, you know, that's probably not the same person. Um, but it was. And when I hit like two hundred on the scale, since I'm you know a, a average, you know, smaller boned human, that's uh, quite a bit for me. And and I saw that, and it just kind of like it hit, it flipped some kind of switch, and I became instantly obsessed with. Like losing weight and fitness, um, and then I, then I got way too skinny. Um, like 
my grandma was worried about me kind of skinny, but not like an Italian grandma where they worry if you're you're too skinny if like your stomach doesn't you know if it's if you don't have a big stomach it like I was fairly emaciated, but then I, I I so I've been like working through that whole thing to find balance in I think this natural mind of mine that's incredibly obsessive and focused by nature. But um, now my audio and music has kind of become the place I've channeled all that, and it so yeah I, I'm trying to have my mar- mar- my marathon equivalent. Yeah, that's great. I, I guess since we're on the topic, so I can say that. Uh, so I mean. Every, everybody knows that I put on weight um, around 2014, but like I've already lost more than half of what I put on, which is a lot, a lot. Dude, like that's killer. The, the actual amount, uh, I'm not going to get into right now. I'm going to talk about it later, but uh, it's a lot. It's like a ridiculous number. The wit, it just it was in a dark place, and it happened. But it didn't happen overnight. It happened with a lot of effort and the way that I uh, turned it around and like, yeah, I've almost half of it's gone. It's going great. Um, but I got fucking obsessed. Like I didn't, I know people say, you know, gradual this, gradual that. Sure. I get it. But I became obsessed with tracking everything, like everything, like tracking everything and working out multiple times a day and uh, just macronutrients, micronutrients, everything, everything, like all in, as all in as I was about gaining weight um, because that's how my brain works. My brain does not go halfway on things. It's not casual. So I have it in me that whatever I get into, uh, good or bad, I'm going to go all the way. And when I realized that, it was like, well, what I need to do is get obsessed. And I need to get obsessed about being healthy. Um, That's the only way. Like, I can't do it any other way. So that's actually where I got my idea about that addicts and people who have fucked up their health or whatever actually have some of the greatest potential out of people anywhere because I... I'm living proof. Uh, well, I'll publish the numbers like later on once I hit this certain milestone. But it, it's ridiculous. It, it's seriously ridiculous. And it's a uh, and it's yeah. It was through getting obsessed. Yeah. And the same amount and that same amount of energy, basically. Yeah. I mean, well, first off, congratulations. I love you know hearing the 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 turnaround stories, and I'm excited for you to go in depth into it. Uh, whenever you decide to, but and it's probably going to be within a month or something. There's there's a certain milestone that's going to look really good in a photo. Uh, oh, for when sure. I, so I'm waiting till that. Yeah, no, that that that's awesome. I I can't wait. Um, yeah, and it's great that it makes sense why you had such an articulate answer about the uh about like you talked about with addicts and people who are who channel that hard work and dedication into the wrong space, you know, and then yeah, I had the same thing where I went so crazy with macros and, and the tracking and, but the thing is too, it informs you really well about like being able to eyeball a plate of food and like know the general calorie amount, you know, yeah. you can like look at how shiny it is to kind of to gauge how much you know oil there might be in it and say, looks like a teaspoon or a tablespoon or you know, okay, that's like the size of, you know, three fingers of chicken. That's probably, that's about four ounces or like, you know. Well, you just get in tune with it. And just like anything else, if yeah. you 
play guitar for eight hours a day, you get in tune with that too. Um, and the and it's I mean, same with uh, same with audio, for instance. Uh, I know that when doing mixed crits, uh, some people who get mixed crits they're not happy with don't believe that we can give them an accurate crit that quickly. But when you do something intensely for years, your brain just gets in tune with it. It just, you know, you just know. And so, yeah, you're right. When you're tracking all that stuff with your food and these lifestyle changes, you do reach a point where it starts to become part of how you think and part of how you are. Yeah, and then that that's that's when you know you're onto something. Yeah, absolutely. So I I take it that that same amount of energy that you put into dropping the fifty, I have noticed that you have uh, started bulking up muscle wise, and uh, I know how intensely you've gone after your career. So you know that just more of a more of a I wouldn't say scientific proof, but more of a proof point to me of that. What I'm saying is accurate is that people who do that, if they just redirect that energy, they can do some great things. So you have it in you to get obsessed with things Mm -hmm. and you have it in you to suffer for things that uh, you get obsessed with because gaining weight is suffering um, and it is pure suffering. So you know how to do it. So it now it makes sense about you sleeping on your floor and being cool with that and putting yourself through hell to uh, to allow your career to start flourishing. It's already in you. Yeah. Hey, you know, and then that just speaks to, uh, that's a great thing to remind myself of when I'm feeling any self-doubt is it's like this has been time and time again, I've been able to show my ability to to sacrifice for the stuff I focus in. And yeah. You said you said it better than I'm gonna say it, so I won't even won't even try. It's kind of funny. Like the first time I thought about it, um, when I realized that I told somebody and they thought I was I was kidding because I've got a fucked up sense of humor. So I was looking at somebody and I was like, look at how dedicated they are. Um, so again, as someone who was severely overweight, and I was like, that is dedication. And someone was like, stop judging. I was like, no, I'm not kidding. That's dedication. Um, it just it hit me. Uh, it was like anyone who can do that can do a whole lot more than that if they just were to focus properly. Um, mm-hmm. So, thanks, Dad. <laughs> yes, so- sounds, yes, sounds like. Uh, well, what's interesting to me too is that they say that alcoholism uh, can sometimes be hereditary. So. Sounds to me like you got the bug too, uh, that the addictive bug, but you put it to use in a proper way. Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say I have the the addictive and obsessive bug. It, it, it definitely manifested itself with food in a in an interesting way, and it's probably a reason. I can't say I've had any issues with with substances massively, but like, there's a reason I avoid it almost always. Overall, on top of like, I could either you know drink tonight or I could work, and I, I'd rather do something fun in my business. But on top of that, it's probably best I I avoid almost entirely. Well, you know that, and you have the thing to be obsessed over. Exactly. Yeah, so you need that. 
Um, that's the thing, is if you have that in you, you need something to be obsessed with. Or if you don't, it's, you know, you're going to leave it up to your emotions to choose. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not that's not always a good thing. <laughs> nope. Emo- emotions aren't, uh, they're not always your friend. Um, and they, they should not be running, they should not be running the ship. That's like letting your dog drive your car or something. Honestly, that, that's a fantastic and surprisingly accurate analogy for kind of how absurd it, it seems in, the he- in my head, but it's very, very true. So let's talk a little bit about your obsessiveness for work. What's your normal day like? All right, let's break this down. I've been shifting a lot into doing more remote work. So mostly remote production and mixing for primarily pop music. So I'm very fortunate in the sense of having a good amount of flexibility when it comes to timing. Uh, that being said, I do like being up between like 5 and 6 a.m. That's It just feels nice getting started early. I feel like I'm ahead of everybody, and then that makes me feel... You know, I already feel like I'm winning if I'm up earlier than people. I guess it goes back to that. Like, um, so I'll usually do that. But I'm at the gym probably five days a week, so I'll go bang that out. I'm really into powerlifting, so I'm actually in the middle of like a peaking phase that I'm running a few times before a meet in September. So that's kind of a bit more laborious time wise than I'd like, but I love heavy things a lot. So you know, it's a trade off for happiness and being a calm, happy boy for podcast interviews like this. Um, Instead of a rageful, angry boy. So I'll do that, come back. I have a tradition of making myself breakfast. How many hours? At the gym? Yeah. Um, the workout itself is maybe an hour or less, but you know, it's like it's honestly more the warming up for like a heavy set of squats is probably 20 minutes between like the stretching, a little cardio warm-up, you know, warm-up sets, massage like active release therapy. It's a whole ordeal. So just the entire event can be two hours door to door, but again, it's something that brings me a ton of happiness, and I need that in order to like enjoy my my work day. So I think it for me, it's worth like the time trade off because it's not the most. Man, it, when I t- I told someone I know about how many hours a day I put into it, and they're like, "How do you find the time?" It's like, first of all, I make the time, but second of all. You you don't understand how much good it's doing for everything else. Mm-hmm. Like everything else is so much more efficient now because of the exercise. Like, yes, it's the most important thing I can do every day if I want to have a good day. Yeah, and I think people don't if they're not in it like that. It's hard to understand it because they just look at it like time gone. You know, time in versus time out, or you know. Versus money out or whatever, but it's like, yeah, there's, I couldn't function, nor could most, you know, like anybody who works that regularly, maybe before their workday, like that is an integral part to being a sharp business person and to being a uh, focused. Like it's hard for me on not, to take days off because of that, because I, I want to go yank on a bar or something. I don't know. I want to do something. Just out of curiosity, do you sleep well? Oh, I sleep like a baby. I am, I am, have you ever? I mean, have you always? Yes, I've slept through like fire alarms and thunderstorms, and yeah. So even before you went all all in exercise wise, you know, I don't quite remember my sleeping patterns during my heavier times because I would I 
kind of gained it so fast and then lost it so fast. Um, I don't quite remember, but I mean, historically, I've always been a super heavy sleeper, and that's a bit other big priority too. Like I'm seven, I need my seven hours if I'm gonna do a good do a good work day at all. Got it. Okay, cool. So Jim's done. Then what? Jim's done. I have a little breakfast tradition. I like to make myself. It's like reminds me of home, makes me feel happy, and make some eggs and toast, and um, maybe watch a YouTube video or something chill. And then um, I'll jump right into it. Usually, I'm working by eight or so, maybe earlier if I'm up super early that day. And I'll start typically. I mean, in a macro, it's pretty much that till dinner time. You'll have a lunch, like a lunch break. Uh, but I'll stop when my girlfriend gets back because I, I work out of my living room, um, which is you know any photos you see of me in a chair at a desk, you know, it's my living room. I'm just very good at taking photos of it. Um, but I'll pretty much work my waking hours uh, besides like dinner with my girlfriend and maybe, you know, catching up and we'll cook together um, because that's another big thing that I enjoy. Not like I'm super dope at it, but just I enjoy the world of food and it's like mixing with your mouth. Um, <laughs> and and obviously I like food. Um so that that's pretty much it. But I'll usually do like a round of updating my HubSpot and my projects and any leads I need to follow up with. Then dive into whatever I've done my best to prioritize needs to happen that day. So I'll usually sit down and look at my ongoing tasks, and then I'll move up the ones that I know I can accomplish today, number them, and then just bang them out in the order that they're in. So I try to really streamline it so I don't have to think too much about like what's next. And just do what I've told myself it's time to do, if that makes sense. Just gonna take a quick break, and I promise it's gonna be quick, but it's important. I need to remind you guys, so please forgive me. This episode is brought to you by the URM Summit four days of networking, workshops, seminars, and hanging out with your URM friends and dozens of the industry's best pros. It's November 8th through 11 at the Las Vegas Westin, and tickets are available right now at urmsummit.com. All right, back to the episode. It does make sense. And when do you, or when do you make time for the big picture stuff? And the reason I ask that is because I feel like sometimes to-do lists are great tactical tools, um, as in, you know, you want to stay on target all day long and get shit done. It's great to have a to-do list, but to-do lists are notorious for sometimes helping people waste a bunch of time if they're, if it's not built around an outcome list. Um, cause mm. you know, you need, you need to have big high level outcomes you're looking for that the to-do list works with right because you I mean you could make a to-do list and it be 20 items that don't move the needle so it's important to always have that to-do list be built off of the outcomes you want to create in your life so where 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 does that fit in I have my I guess my macro or like long-term vision projects um, that aren't necessarily Gonna bring the dollars, but are like long-term things I've been working on in a few different um, project cards, and so I'll have some tasks within that as like next steps when I have time. Um, but I intentionally try to under-schedule myself because, as you know, there is just so much variable with things. So I always try to leave time 
probably one to two hours. So for example, like I know today I have till uh, my girlfriend's gonna be back at five thirty, and we're gonna go for a walk and then make a make this delicious dinner. So I know I've scheduled my day out to be done by about four with what's left, and then I'm kind of have that leisure to go to the things that I want to work towards, and. I, I don't have anything more effective than saying whichever one I'm most excited about chipping away at. So, <laughs> I mean, that's fair enough, as long as you have a list of what they are. Exactly. Yeah. Like usually, because usually I can't do more than one or two things because a lot of times it's it also has to do with like maybe learning something. So I might not even do one bullet point because it might be like how to do a thing in After Effects, and I could spend. You know, time searching for the right thing or trying it, and I suck at it, and I oh, there's an Adobe preference I screwed up an hour later. You know, um, but just as long as I spend some time on it, then I at least feel good about it. But um, so yeah, so I try to intentionally underschedule my like deliverables. Just somebody's waiting for this email, somebody's waiting for this mix, somebody needs these files. This instrumental version needs to be rebounced. Like I try to set the expectation for the client up front to. Allow me to not be so bogged down in the business, so I can work on the business um, at least an hour a day. Occasionally, you know, life, so I don't have time, but I try to spend a little bit of time uh, every single day on on those things that are maybe six, twelve, two year goals, uh, and moving that forward. At what point in the day do you do the uh, mundane maintenance stuff? Uh, and what I mean by that is like you know, logistics planning. Emailing people, the the stuff that you have to do, but that doesn't require your most intense, highest level thinking. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's a that is a large chunk of the day, and for yeah, me, and it can become too large if you're not careful. Yeah, <laughs> um, for me, I'll try to bang some of it out on the elliptical. Like I've kind of started getting into this routine of if it's not a, a leg day because I don't want to over fatigue myself. Um, on bench days, if I have two days before my next squat or deadlift session, I'll just jump on the elliptical for maybe 20, 30 minutes and bang a lot of that out on my phone. Um, just because it gets me steps and it gets me a little, you know, health benefit of, of moving more, which I know is a problem for all of our lives. Um, so I'll try to do some of it then. But I oddly enough, I think most people I've heard don't recommend this, is I'll tend to finish it or clean it up usually first thing when I sit down, because for me personally, if I, uh, there's usually at least one email I need to get back to. And if I know it's sitting in the inbox, then it's kind of hard for me to start the day. And I kind of, I like the feeling of cleaning up that slate and doing HubSpot follow ups for the day, um, updating the projects like, okay, are we in mix notes? Are they approved the mix notes? Uh, where are we, you know, booked or delivered or blah, blah, blah. Um, I like doing all of that. So then I know I can ignore my email for the rest of the day and come back in the evening. So I like to do it in spurts. So like a morning one when I sit down and then an evening one to clean up any any responses I got throughout the day or any new day inquiries. Um, yeah. I uh, don't know how I feel about that. It's I understand what you're saying completely because I also have the urge to do it first thing um, because... I hate having things hanging over my head. Um, it helps me focus to not have things hanging over my head. But the thing that always worries me about doing that stuff first is there's nothing like that those first few hours um, 
as far as how powerful your contributions to something can be. Like those first few hours are like where you have the most brain power. And so it kind of bums me out to use those on email, for instance. Um, but then again, it's hard to really focus uh, if I know that I owe somebody an answer to something. Yeah, well, and I think your inbox is far more full than mine. So I think there's, like, for you to sit down and commit to, I'm going to clear my inbox. It's been, you know, uh, maybe 18, 24 hours. Like, that's a much more laborious chore than I think it is for me. But I'm going to guess there is that point where it's more than a few I have to get through. And I'll probably switch to doing the same thing as you. Well, I I don't know which one. I, I go back and forth. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I, like, I would like a, to live a in a question, world. I, it's a question I haven't answered for myself yet. I haven't figured out what's better yet. I think before being able to do that, I have to mentally like practice not responding to my emails earlier. Like as lame as that sounds, I I think I would have to train myself incrementally because I know I would stick to it if I did it incrementally. You know, so uh, back at the gym, me showered, eaten by like eight. And then say, I'm not going to open my email till nine today. And then work for an hour, open my email. Because then I'll be able to negotiate with myself like that and be like, it, it's, it's nine. It's not, it's the morning, you know, most of my, for most of my clients. Um, and then I can slowly push that back like an hour, you know, every few days. And I think my brain will mentally be okay with it until I would get to like a lunchtime. But I would literally have to train myself and talk myself into it. Well, yeah, this takes training. This one way, that I've done tends to be what I th- what I feel is best for me, and maybe this will help you. Because uh, I again, like I said, I've got that urge first thing to get connected because there's just so much shit going on. But it's a trap. It's a fucking trap. So what I have found is best is to accept that I want to get connected and check it over. And make sure there's no fires to put out. Like, make sure that there's nothing fucked up that happened that I need to like deal with mm-hmm. right then and there. So just look for urgent, important things that may have come up over overnight or that are just that have to be done, and knock those out, and then do the rest later. Yeah, because and sometimes it's zero things. Sometimes there's zero fires. But if I know that, I feel much better. Sometimes it's just like this person needs this answer and or a project can't move forward without me just sending this one email or whatever. Or maybe somebody went fucking psycho in the group overnight and I need to deal with it. But then I got rid of those two urgent things and now I can work on planning something that will actually move the needle. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to try that this week. Or the next seven days, because it's the weeks, uh, at least when we're recording this, is Thursday. So I will try that for the next seven days. Go big fire only, save the rest for lunchtime, um, and see see how that goes. Yeah, let let, let me know, because that's kind of the best of both worlds, right? Because you can take care of the stuff that is actually urgent. So if you do that, you don't have an excuse to really be worried about your email anymore mm-hmm. because you took care of the shit that's like really urgent and then yeah 
and then you can take that peak productivity part of the day and put it towards something important. Yeah, I love that. Simple, elegant, solves the problem. I'm doing it, I'll text you in a week. Yeah, yeah, I want to know how it goes. Let's talk about delegating. So I know that, uh, shout out to Stephen Ward, and uh, do, you, do you guys still work together? Uh, we don't work together like we used to, you know, which is pretty much every single day. He leveled up, right? Like he got a he got he got a gig, he got a gig. Uh, got making a gig. content for Neural DSP. Yeah, fucking awesome. Yeah. So for anyone who's not familiar, Stephen Ward's also a URM member. Uh, you guys met at the first summit, and then Stephen moved to LA to work with you, um, and you guys worked together, and he was kind of your assistant for a while. Yeah. So it start so. First summit, late 2017. Yeah, December 2017. Then in March, we were on a group Skype call or like Facebook call. And as people were logging out, I, I was like, oh, hey, uh, forgot to get this vocal tuned. I need it like by five tonight. It was noon. So I asked if he was free. Um, and he was. So he tuned that up, you know, and that was kind of the beginning of us working together was just right place, right time. And he was able to knock it out because my previous assistant, I retired my relationship with him um, shortly before that. Then from there, that August, I asked him to move down to work for me full-time, um, helping me figure out the content world on top of doing um, audio assistant. So at that point, he'd been doing my audio edit, like uh, instrument editing, vocal tuning and editing, session prep for me, uh, for all the stuff I was doing. So then I asked if he wanted to add the visual end and at that point, he'd only picked up a camera for like a couple of covers, but I was like, you know, you you can figure things out. You're you you do good. Um, you'll figure it out. And so you know, we did, and I was able to bring him down here. And then um, I think about four six weeks ago, he got picked up by Neural. So it's been really cool to see that path of of him growing and just crushing it. That's really really awesome. Um, so in terms of how you I guess delegate work to someone that's working for slash with you. Uh, what kind of tasks are you looking for someone in that position to uh, to do? And what what's what's your what are you looking for? And why have an assistant? Um, I mean, okay, so there's, there's a lot of good things to unpack. So there's like the technical end, you know, of being proficient in in the skills as such which is typically going to be the editing tuning 90% of of the work is the vocal tuning and editing for for the stuff I'd produce cuz you know it's lots of vocal layers everything else is already is from midi so I I'm just committing it and then he's just color coding and organizing um so besides the technical stuff which is kind of assumed and then he was doing photos and video for me but Beyond that, I think being able to this is like so cliche, but it's like to be detail oriented. But um, for my case, that was really important because I took the time to create systems and checklists to where there's you know not really any excuse to have something wrong unless I forgot. Um, you know, so for example, I you know it's like I want my buses, then my master, then my effects. You know, like I have my order of stuff and my colors that I like. You know, so I've had a few people apply and give me. Green effects buses, and you know, there, there's really no excuse at that point when I when I said purple, um, and it was written. So somebody who's kind of wait a second. Oh, go ahead. You gave specific instructions written down, and 
they did it differently? Was it because of incompetence or just uh, they didn't care or what? I'm curious about that because I actually just did a podcast earlier with Steve Evitz. We were talking about assistance and how one of the big problems is when they don't when they don't listen to specific instructions and just want to do things their way. And we were talking about John Douglas and why he's so great and how he he work has worked for and works with several different amazing producers. And when editing drums, for instance, some will say, I want it natural but tight, or I want this totally gridded, or whatever it is. And he does it exactly to spec every time, which is why he keeps getting hired. I'm curious, why why do you think that person didn't do something as simple as color code the way you wanted? Uh, I mean, I, I honestly just think they didn't want to have the job that bad because like, what I think is so nice about having it all written out and so systemized is the fact that it makes it really clear off the bat like who's going to be a good fit or not. Uh, because anybody who would give me a, a, a you know yeah the purple uh, the green effects uh, buses when I say it's like page one you know it's like here's the here's the basics like if you can't get the page one basics down then you're not that serious about the position um, and I guess it is just laziness like I'd, if it was me but again I think I think obsessive you know tendencies all the stuff we kind of talked about like I would probably. Like we go through the checklist twice at the end, make sure it's right, send it to a buddy to be like, hey, look at this, look at this list, and then look at the session. Is it, did I do it? You know, tell me what I missed before sending it back. Because if you're earlier in your career and you're like looking for opportunities, then you'd think you have like three times as many things to prove to try to get your foot in the door because it's fierce competition and to just have something so trivial like slip is just mind-blowing to me that you would even apply if you wouldn't color code something so basic properly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It kind of blows me away. It blows my mind. I, I, I've seen stuff like that lots of times and when I brought it up to certain people, uh, they've been like, what's the big deal? It's like, what do you mean what's the big deal? I asked for it a certain way. That's the big deal. Yeah. The end. <laughs> well, and I think Joey, when I had a conversation with Joey, he was telling me it's like the the what he's looking for an assistant, which I thought was really good, is it's like your job is to make my life easier and to think about how like how can I solve, you know, I mean, I'm literally like writing down a list of how you solve the problem I'm looking, you know, to hire you for, but it's like you're there to solve problems. And to make it such a seamless integration for yourself into the process, um, yeah. So, so getting like giving kickback on that is really mystifying, especially when it's something that's not really subjective. It's like bake me a cake, and then it's like, oh, here's a here's a cookie. It's like no, <laughs> bake me a cake. Like I asked for a cake. I like cookies. Cool. Um, and now that I have rapport with with some of the new guys I'm working with, it's like. They might they'll give me ideas and I'll I might be receptive to them or not, but it's like especially starting off, it's like no, just I need to know that you can follow a checklist and follow a cooking recipe before it's time to get all crazy with it. Absolutely. So outside of audio, what is it that you were delegating or are delegating? So outside, yeah, outside of the audio stuff, I've been delegating the video editing, which you know I I don't have any 
really crazy edits in the video content I make for my own personal channel, um, or honestly, the stuff I've been doing for other companies. It's pretty, pretty cut and dry as far as like the technical aspect. It's mostly just chopping and crossfades and. Um, for my stuff, it gets a little goofy, but I usually just say, you know, just have fun with it. I'm I'm not here to to roast you because you chose a filter that had a little more sepia for a joke than I was thinking. Um, but that stuff, I also have a checklist for as far as the process Steven used. So he helped me develop that. So when he left, I could hand it off to my new editor. Um, I don't know how to say his name right. I'm going to do a really bad job. Dobromir Vasilev, he goes by Dobbs. Vasilev. Vasilev. He's a URM member who moved from Bulgaria to the UK. He lives just outside of London, I believe now. Um, so he's been doing that for me. So I also delegate out my video editing. And that's about it, because he does it for a few of the different companies I've done video content for. But again, it's all very basic. It's mostly edit, like chopping and aligning and uh, title cards. That's cool. So I think what's really important here for people listening to to get is the thing about the checklists. Um, one of the best ways to train people is to spell things out as detailed and as simply as possible, which sometimes sounds like two completely opposite things. <laughs> but a checklist makes it super easy because it's just go down the list. Uh, another thing which you mentioned, which is super important, is that by having an actual checklist, it makes it to where it's a system that can be passed on to another person because no assistant is forever. An assistant, by nature, is a temporary job. Unless you're paying them $200,000 a year or something and you're some high-powered CEO, your assistant is not going to last forever. Um, at most a year or two, any more than that, and you got to wonder what's going on, I think. <laughs> yes. Because the best assistants tend to have goals of their own that don't involve being an assistant. So it's important to take the time that when you're training them, you're also creating a system that can be passed on to the next person. Another thing that we do, um, which has yielded fantastic results, is just uh, in addition to checklists, um, screen cap videos yep. showing exactly how to do stuff. I mean, posting a URM podcast, for instance, is like 57 steps, because it is. And it's something that I could do, in a, there, it is in a checklist, but that's not quite enough. If I really want someone new to get it, a video walkthrough plus the checklist that's there's no way to fuck that up. Yeah. If you fuck that, if you fuck that up, you're not paying attention. No, and I, I have that as well. And with built into the checklist is some embedded YouTube videos. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, just long and loose. Like I just kind of talk through it, and you know, it's very candid and like at hanging out with people, and um, and that's super super important. But I'm thinking too for people who are listening, who if you're coming into a situation and maybe. Like, because I've been in a situation where I came in. This is probably three years ago at this point to a, a studio, as a post production house, um, and he wanted to show me all these things. So I took notes. But on top of that, I just asked if I could prop my phone up, um, you know, to to film everything he was doing. And I mean, he first he said yes, but of course he was also pleasantly surprised because it was like taking like a double initiative to create that system myself. 
Um, mm-hmm. Because I I was the on, I was honestly just honored that he gave me personal time to explain the thing, and I'm like, well, you know, I better make it count. So so I filmed it, and I was able to go back, and you know, he never had to tell me how he liked to do dialogue automation, uh, printing that across one scene with like a Pro Tools HD key command again, um, and that became super valuable for me doing like dialogue mixing and other stuff because he knew that I took that initiative. So it's like, I think there's a massive white space if you work for a lot of engineers who may not have these deep systems in place. Like, you can be the one to create the system and you're like, I would probably maybe slightly tear up if if somebody came in and I was like explaining it and they're like, let me film this, I'm taking notes, like I'm gonna put this all together into a nice checklist so I can make sure I crush it. I'd probably like, it'd either kiss them or cry. I don't know. Or cry while you kiss them. Either way, it's it's going to be a good partnership. That's all that matters. The kiss will seal it. <laughs> so, do you have these for like everything? I mean, just for the stuff that I've been delegating, I have a new one that I haven't made the checklist for, but I've made the videos for to create like the little short, um, like meme, memeified video pieces from the skits of my YouTube videos. Um, so, I've made the video for it, but I need to create the checklist and then uh, delegate that to Dobbs. So you can get started on it because it's a thing where it's just again my I'm I'm sw- I'm swimming in it and I'm trying to figure out what's like the easiest, uh, the lowest hanging fruit with delegating as possible. Got it. So uh, why video? I mean, you came to URM for audio, right? Yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Why video? Where did this come from? And why are you going hard on it? All right. There's there's a lot there's a lot of facets to this answer. So I think over the last two to three months for me has been kind of a culmination, I think, of the last two years internally as this like journey, I think, of, you know, again, because I'm so young and this is all so new. I think this is all very much, I'll always be learning, but I think I'm learning even more about myself, especially in the last six months about like what my core values are as far as how I want to Sculpt my day to day in my life, and that sounds super woo woo, but it's gonna get it. It, it has a I'm, I'm getting there, <laughs> um, and within the last couple of years, you know, obviously I've literally lived in a box, but like you know, figuratively, the audio life is very box based, and even having like clients over, um, it's still kind of very cooped up and isolated, and a lot of as I've shifted more to doing more remote work because it's more profitable and of course I'm going to optimize my business and I have the demand, I've realized that there's kind of this like, I have this desire to connect with people in a way, like in a very day-to-day kind of constant fashion. And it's something that I know dedicating my life to mixing and production will not be able to fulfill um, in the way that I'm looking for. No, it, it won't. Like uh, even if you're doing mainly production and not mixing, you're still only with a very small group of people all day, every day. Exactly. And it's like even the time that's social, there's countless more hours spent like tinkering with uh, serum or you know trying ever trying to flip the flippy flip. You know, like doing trying to. Come up with new things like that's just part of the the world of being a, a top class music producer and mixing engineer. Like that's an unavoidable reality of it is the cave life, and the cave life I've found has been really difficult for me um, because I really really enjoy 
connecting with people. And I think the podcast has been part of that because that started almost a year ago. Um, in two Mondays, it'll be my 52nd episode of uploading every single week. You know, a full, a full 365. Thank you. Um, and that was kind of the first step in that journey of realizing how much I value connecting with people. You know, it's through digital mediums, but like podcasting, the going live on Facebook, creating the videos, and having conversations in the comments, um, even if they get, even if they're dissenting opinions, like still having thoughtful conversation, and you know, of course, deleting ones where they just say very. Uh, Derogatory things about my guests or about myself, but you know, ninety nine percent of the time, it, it's very positive, and and I've really enjoyed and valued that connection with people, and so that's honestly been the macro shift that's kind of spawned this. You, you know, let me just say that honestly, with the podcast, one of my favorite things about doing my podcast, and uh, I'm thinking about starting a second one too, just because I like this so much, is. Uh, well, first of all, I've made friends. I've made actual friends from it because um, I oftentimes talk to people who I've never spoken to before in my life. But it's also sometimes the only time that I get to actually catch up with some of my close friends, which is kind of weird because we're catching up in public. But there used to be a time not too long ago, but still kind of those days are dead, where you would catch up with your friends on the phone <laughs> and talk for a few hours, that doesn't, that's kind of dead. That doesn't really happen anymore. At least I don't do it anymore. I don't talk on the phone with friends anymore. Like we, and just have long ass conversations. This doesn't happen. It used to happen. It doesn't anymore. But podcasting has allowed that, allowed me to have that again in my life. And I don't live the cave life like I used to. But I'm still by myself a lot working on stuff, even on these trips. We go on trips all the time for Nail the Mix. Um, but I'm not always at the studio doing work. Like, for instance, today, I'm in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're shooting a fast track. But today, I've been in my hotel room all day long working on stuff. But we're having an hour and a half long conversation. Had another 90 minute long conversation with Steve Evitz earlier. And it's cool. I get to uh, have long, deep conversations with smart people. And uh, it makes what I do a lot more uh, pleasurable. And it kind of keeps me from going crazy. So Exactly. And, and that's, that's a very similar sentiment to what the joy and excitement that I've found through. I mean, I guess I would say creating content overall, but yeah, it's like that connection is really nice and it's something that's much needed. And, you know, maybe an old fart might say, well, it's not the same, but it's like it fulfills the need I have for it. So it's not the same, but it doesn't matter. What you get out of it is the same. Exactly. And that's been kind of a, a difficult journey because, like, for me internally, because part of me says, like you've worked so hard, you know. I think about all the things that I've had to sacrifice in order to make a sustainable income and to get to the point where I could hire on somebody full time. And then, like, all of this stuff I've been through to get me to this point to then pivot. But I think my world will likely be filled with like every couple of years having some massive revelation of something else that I truly enjoy. And then it's deciding if that's going to bring me more fulfillment and if I have the because it's an important part, like if I have the financial means and the time to be able to put into it, because really in the last six months, 
is when my business audio business has gotten to the point where like I don't need to talk about it on the internet to get have my clients and referrals chugging along. Um, so I can kind of just think that keep getting the referrals and it's like, all right, cool, this is going. This is great. Um, you know, now I, I wanna this is fulfilling a lot of things that I need in my week to, to weekly to monthly life, but now I will, there's this need I have and I'm not gonna be totally fulfilled by doing that in audio. So I, I the video is really a natural progression and um it's sprung into some surprising business opportunities um because I think my personality plays well on camera and it's kind of been like this pleasant side business almost that started. That's great. Let's talk about podcasting for a second. Let's go. So 52. That's great. Um I'm sure you've noticed that almost everyone you know at some point makes a post on Facebook or something that's like thinking about starting a podcast. Yep. Or let's start a podcast or you know it's almost become the modern let's start a band. Yes, um, I would agree. Yeah, and I have had a, quite a few friends who have talked about doing it and maybe have done one or two episodes and then never done more. Um, so first of all, congrats on actually making it to 52 uh, because most people don't make it past three. But uh, I'm talking about this right now for people who think they want to do a podcast. Um, how long did it take for you to get comfortable with your podcast and for people to start listening? The comfortable thing? Yeah, comfortable talking for that long. Yeah. It took probably, for me, anywhere maybe like 8 to 12 episodes okay. to feel comfortable. But I, I don't do, my, my episodes aren't nearly as long as these ones. So I, I think that would be a, a much longer curve. But uh, I kind of different aside would also be when I was young, like 10, I actually got really into magic and performing like, you know, close up card tricks and coin tricks and stuff. So I have between that and like being the business person for bands, I've had uh, some experience like performing in front of people and putting on shows in my driveway and like things of that nature. I'm used to kind of talking in that performance sense or being maybe a little more aware of of how I poised myself. Yet it still took you eight to 12 episodes. Oh, yeah. All that aside. It, yeah, because you're, you know, you're in the middle of an episode like, my, like myself right now. You know, I'm just staring at my wall talking to you, but it's not natural because I'm seated. I need to talk into the mic. I'm just staring at you know, this one portion of my wall for, for you know, over an hour. It's very not anything that a human ever does uh, unless they're doing a podcast. So, that's like the really awkward learning curve. And I think on top of that, getting used to the sound of my voice, you know, like with anybody who starts a podcast, it's like, oh, yikes, that's there it is. Yeah, it's that's that's actually sounds silly, but that's a rough one. It is. And nobody likes the way they sound, dude. I fucking hate the sound of my own voice. Hate it. God, I feel like I sound like such an idiot. But uh, you know, my voice, my voice in my head is damn good, so it, it, it's always a disappointment. In my ear, I, in my earbuds, it sounds good too, though. So, you know, so don't worry about it. Thank you, thank you. But if only you could hear my voice like I hear it, you'd want to marry me, probably. 
It's 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 good, but it's it's not nearly <laughs> as good. It's not nearly as good in real life. But the other thing is so okay. Yeah, getting comfortable speaking for a long time is a big challenge. Another big challenge is getting comfortable hearing your own voice. Mm-hmm. But then the biggest challenge of all, this is this is the big one, is keeping it interesting week after week after week after week after week over and over and over again. It It's a big thing to try to do. And so whenever I see people saying they're going to do it, I don't wish them any failure or anything like that. But I'm always a little skeptical because I feel like for the most part they haven't thought it through. Um, and what I think people should do is commit themselves to doing something like 20 episodes no matter what happens like even if nobody listens even if they suck like commit to like 20 and have a plan Mm -hmm. for what those 20 are going to be and then do them and then see how you feel about it yeah because it's going to suck at first yeah it's it's another one of those things where it's just so hard to kind of get out of your own head to keep going with it especially when you get two listens four listens you know, it's like my own mom didn't even listen to that one. You know, it's like it's really difficult. And like you said, the creative end is much, much more difficult than people realize. Like that's one thing I'm starting to realize in the in the video world as well. Like it's just coming up with something to talk about that's authentic and on brand slash like what people are kind of expecting. You know, or it's this weird dance and balance where uh, it's a bit precarious. But I think for myself, that's kind of why. I know I changed the name of my podcast, but I'm I'm I've brought it back to the Stay Spongy Show because it ultimately, I think for me, like my podcast, I wanted to set it up in a way to where it's whatever I've learned and soaked up this week is what I want to pass on. Or if there's something I'm hot on or something that happened in my world, I can literally just talk about that and relate it to, you know, maybe the larger journey of the of freelance life um, and post it up. Like that. I wanted to kind of, at least for me, create it in a way where it allowed me to um, make the the idea aspect a little less painful and scary. Um, and I think it's worked so far. I haven't, I haven't ran out of things to talk about yet. Have you ever felt like you're going to run out of things to talk about? Oh yeah, there's like a sun. You know, mine go live every Monday, so it's there's like a Sunday at five p.m. where I've totally forgot to about the podcast, and I was like, uh oh, what do I say? And then of course in the panic I couldn't think of anything and it took me I didn't even record that one till like five not not five uh, like ten p.m. that night and was able to record it one take it get it you know top bottom bounce it out like get it done but um, sometimes it's hard like I I have a now a notepad where I've been stockpiling my ideas so I'm good even if I'm not creative for the next two months um, and I think that's been important for me like having a place to put my rough ideas. So then I can just go there and pull from it instead of like, all right, it's Sunday, time to do the podcast. What's the topic? Well, let me begin the thinking process. Yeah, and how much prep do you do for it? So if it's a solo episode, I, um, I'll probably probably take me maybe 20, 30 minutes to get like a bullet point because I'm at the point now where I can get away with bullet points for each thing I want to hit. And then I can typically one-take it and if not, I'll make markers as I go, then go back, clean it up. But if it's if it's a research thing, you know, like a conversation, a guest, um, it could be anywhere from 
maybe 30 minutes to an hour and a half, two hours, just depending on how quickly I'm maybe finding what I'm looking for, because I like to really, I like to make sure that the guest knows that I've invested time into their story and, Absolutely. To, and to find things that are beyond, you know, so, uh, Al, you're, uh, <laughs> nail the mix. Am I right? Like that's, that's, that's bad. And I just so respect the fact that people give me their time. Uh, you know, I, I wanted. That's to- why I have Ben do pre-interviews with people. Part of it's for me, and the other part is actually for the guest, so that they feel like we are actually putting time into doing something awesome. Oh yeah, it's su- it, I felt super flattering. You know, just just uh, getting asked a bunch of questions, and you know, he's like taking all these notes, and it's you know, it's like yeah, it. As somebody who has now gone through the experience, I can definitely say that it, it it makes you feel super important and respected and honored to be giving like the time and putting the energy in to to make it a, a great conversation and valuable for people. So I'm not quite at that level where I can I am able to invest like that, but I do my part so I can send them questions ahead of time, and then they have a question list, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, John's found some interesting little nuggets here that you know aren't your conventional, um, you know, so. You aren't your conventional. You know, so doth, you know, ayo, like questions. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that whenever I see people talking about podcasts, like that they're going to do it, if they post about it, like thinking about starting a podcast, I think there's about a ninety percent chance they're not going to do it because if you have to ask other people for ideas about it. You're gonna run out of ideas real quick. Yes, especially at the start. Yeah, especially at the start. Um, so I really think that if those of you listening wanna wanna do a podcast, just fucking start. Just yes. start, 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 start. Like don't wait until you have the perfect lineup or perfect this or the perfect setup or anything like that. Just start because you need to get those bad episodes out of the way. And uh, I know that this podcast started strong, but it started strong because it wasn't wasn't my first podcast ever. Mm-hmm. Also, I did a bunch with Finn before that and had years of Creative Live and all this stuff. So like there was already, th- this was just an extension of a bunch of stuff I had already done. But if you've never done something like this before, if you've never used your voice um Professionally, just got to start. Don't wait and don't call me asking for help. Just start. <laughs> no, you can call me and ask me for help, but I prefer you do it after you've recorded a few episodes. Yeah, well, because it show, it shows that it's worth your time to respond to, and yeah, even even I've experienced that at my little like my little baby level with it. It's like I've I've become that go to person in my circle that has executed on the things that I've said I'm going to execute on, and it's like John, how do I? Start a podcast, and it's it's really difficult because my instinct is to send them that link that's like, "Let me Google that for you." Link, um, <laughs> and and I really want to, but it's like the the morals that like my my nana instilled in me and my parents. You and, don't want to be an asshole. I yeah, I don't, and and it would go against the hashtag that I that seems to be the one I'm sticking with, which is kindness wins. So I'll I'll just you know I'll say there's probably better answers on Google than I can give you. Uh, because I have no idea what I'm doing, and that's been my cop out. Where it's like, you're asking one dude, and you can go out and get 20 opinions from 20 blog articles, you know, on Google, and you're going to get much deeper perspective than I would give you. Uh, but I would 100% agree. It's just like 
just make it. You know, nobody cares what your logo is, like the image, because it's going to change. It's going to get better. Uh, nobody cares what the name is because it's going to, like, you can change it. I've changed my podcast name and then I changed it back. Nobody's, I've gotten like three texts maybe about it between the two changes. Uh, yeah, we changed our name once. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. went for uh, Joey Sturgis Forum podcast to URM. Yeah. And nobody's been like, well, huh. I used to like it when it was JSF <laughs> podcast, but you know, can't yeah hate it. You're in. You, you know, I hate psychic vampires, um, and I feel like when people ask questions like that, that they could easily find the answer to, um, they're being vampires. And here's the thing: I am totally cool with people asking me for advice on things. My fucking career is people asking for advice on things, so. I, I really am okay with it. But the thing is, too, that um, I have had a lot of people who have learned from me go on to do things. And so I know how to spot the difference between someone who is going to do something and someone who's just fucking around. And so it kind of bums me out when I see the, uh, the fucking around kind. And usually one of the things that the fucking around kind do is bother you with questions that they shouldn't be asking. Mm-hmm. That they, like things like, how do I start a podcast? And where it's like, yeah, there's tons of information out there. And really, how? what do you mean, how do you start a podcast? You set up a microphone and you start talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the rest That's is so what you Googleable. Do. <laughs> like, like, oh, how do I get it out there? Like, it's all... So so Googleable, and it's like if you can't have that basic like know-how to, to just turn to Google or YouTube, then it's it's probably not going to work. There's apps that you can record it into, who will then post it to everything. If you're not at the point where you need an editor and all that stuff, there's apps you can use that will do all that stuff for you. What they're really doing, the reason that it bums me out is not because they're wasting my time, even though they are. It's more because I know they're not serious, because they're avoiding the actual hard part. By asking those questions, they're avoiding the hard part, which is the important part, which is what are you going to actually talk about? And then getting over the sound of their own voice and all that, that, that's the hard shit. And wasting my time asking about how to start a podcast... Isn't going to make your content any better. It's not going to make you any better at talking into a microphone. So stop asking, start doing. And then once you have a bunch of episodes, I would be more than happy to uh, talk to you about it. Yeah, because because then at that it's like communicating that you're able. At least for me, in the few times I know you've gotten harassed about it a ton more than I, but for me it's like yeah, just being able to see that you execute on the ideas, and then it's like all right, yeah, like you're. You care, you'll probably take the advice. Yeah, but then we're talking about something real. Exactly, and it's like then, it, then it's exciting because then it's like, oh, somebody is like actually doing it, and that's so rare. And yeah, like I can't, I honestly don't think I can tell you one person's in my circle. You know, Danny Wallen, he's maybe six or seven in. Yep, he started it. Yeah, he he started and he's kept going because I can count. Good for him. Most of them. Haven't started, but then a few have done maybe three episodes, like you said, and then I don't know how many he's on. So somewhere maybe six to eight. Uh, I'm I'm not totally sure, but it's like yeah, he's sticking with it. 
and it's super super cool to see. And if he and if he had any questions, you know, and hit you up, it'd be like, oh yeah, you're crushing it. Like yeah, him, I I would help because he said he was going to start it, and he started it, and he's done a few episodes. So I would help him if he needed help. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't too stoked about helping him before he had started. Um, I I just wanted to see him actually do it. Yeah, because it's I can definitely attest to the power of just being able to demonstrate by doing or to be able to send something that you've done and say, hey, here's the thing I've done that I want to level up. Like that that communicates a completely different skill set than just coming with nothing to show. Um, and I feel like that. If our heart just, I want to loop back to Steven super quick. Like he had never actually tuned a vocal before the day I asked him to tune a vocal, but he figured it out, got it done, and then it's like, okay, this is an executor. Like I bet you can do anything, and he can. Like that, and it's a very uh, different mental approach, and it's something that has really stuck out to me, and and something I really try to over communicate with people that I work with too. It's like you tell me to make a beef Wellington, like Gordon Ramsay's signature dish. I have no idea, but you know what? I'll figure it out. It'll probably taste bad, but I'm going to execute as best as I can and then like show you that I'm serious about it and show that I'm valuable in that way. And then ask for how to make it better. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, take, give give this a taste and then let me know where I messed up and how to cook that beef. Probably bad. So the moral of the story is stop talking and start doing, but if you're podcasting, actually start talking. <laughs> exactly. And start doing. Yeah, well, yeah, once once you've been doing the doing, then it's like time to refine it. But I, yeah, I have I have too many friends that have all said it. And as you know, once you once you're the podcast dude, people will tell you specifically. It's like I'm gonna start a podcast, and you know, you just gotta say good luck. You know, like you know, crush it, and uh, let them go on that journey themselves. Yeah, totally. The the thing that bums me out is that I don't want to be a dick about it. I really don't. But it's like, dude, just start talking. It's it's that easy. Yeah, it really is. And with that said. I think this is a good place to call it. Mr. McLucas, thank you for coming on the URM podcast. Why, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and that's the end of my sentence. Thank you so much again. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.